Good evening. I want to welcome any visitors that might be here. If you uh, weren't here for the Simple Truth Conference, I would encourage you to pick up the little zip drive. It'll give you uh, all the um, teachings plus the videos. I mean, today technology is incredible. You just I, I used to have boxes and boxes of Chuck, P- Pastor Chuck's CDs just for one book. They put all my 37 years of through the Bible, you can get it in one little flash drive, 700 hours or something. It's incredible stuff today. So we really have no excuse for staying ignorant. We really don't. Used to pay about two bucks a, a cassette. I think that the CD, the little thumb drive goes for 39 bucks, 700 hours. You pay $5 for a cup of coffee. You know what I mean? Priorities. It's amazing. Plus, you can go on websites, not only this one, but many free. You can examine things. You can just download things. You can do everything. Um, It's an amazing time in, in church history, the advantage we have as a church here in America. And uh, we truly are blessed, and we must make use of the time as we look at time this, in this verse. Because um, knowing the time is evil, we're to redeem the time, uh, Paul says. Now, if it was true back then, Paul said that, how much true is it now, 2,000 years later? Hmm. Why don't you open the Genesis 1.1? Genesis 1-1 is our text, and the message is entitled, Creation or Evolution. I want to pick back on the conference of simple truths. We have some great information, um, some great um, examples of, um, of God's creation, uh, great information about the hypothesis of evolution, the purposeful frauds at times. Um, But again, always the standard is the Word of God. Listen to the zoologist Dan Eric Nielsen, what he says. Quote, Darwin acknowledged from the start that the eye would be a difficult case for his new theory to explain. Difficult but not impossible. Scientists have come up with a scenarios through which the first eye-like structure, a light-sensitive pigmented spot on the skin, could have gone through changes and complexities to form the human eye with its many parts and astounding abilities. Through natural selection, different types of eyes have emerged in evolutionary history. Fact? And the human eye isn't even the best one from some standpoints because blood vessels run across the surface of the retina instead of beneath it. It's easy for the vessels to proliferate or leak and impair vision. So the evolution theorists say the anti-evolution argument that life was created by an intelligent designer does not hold water. If God or some other 
omnipotent force was responsible to the human eye. It was something of a botched design. Science or science fiction is the entitlement of the evolutionary eye in the Internet. Now, these people are serious, and they believe they're being truthful to the scientific model. But once again, the problem is they're basing it on a false premise. And if you have a false premise, you're going to have a wrong conclusion. You can look down your scope of your rifle or the peephole. If your sights are off, you can be on target from your eye perspective, but you'll never hit the target. That's the problem. In view of this, let's look at the opening verse of Genesis, that the declarative statement of the entire creation of the cosmos that is described um, by three factors. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What a great place to put that verse. Everybody goes to hotels or picks up a Bible. In the beginning, God goes, oh, you're busted. You have no excuse. Greatest place to put that verse. Let me give you the three factors. First, the time of creation. Second, the God of creation. And third, the totality of creation. Right in the first verse. Let's begin with the time creation. Notice the inception of um, creation is stated to be in the beginning. The word beginning can mean several things. First, beginning, chief, best, or choice part. The context is always going to determine how you use your word. Um, the text here has a framework of creation in mind. There's nothing else. You don't read into it eisegesis. It's inductive Bible study. You pull out what's only there. All right? When you open your drawer in the kitchen and there's only spoons there, you're never going to find a fork. Okay? Therefore, it is marking out the starting point of creation. The point marks the introduction of time as man knows it now, chronological time running from present to future. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The implication being that time as we know it did not exist in this fashion prior to this point, creation, all right? Time itself being temporal was created and came to be at a set point by virtue of its introduction in the beginning. I wish I could write as concise as God. <laughs> it takes us pages and hours to explain ourselves and then we're still not understood. The Gospel of John opens with the words, as you know, in the beginning was the word. The article is not present before the word beginning. Therefore, the declaration indicates going back earlier than the first verse into timeless eternity before time. Genesis goes right before time comes out of eternity. John's Gospel goes before this time. In the beginning was the word. 
Notice the declaration of time having a time of inception follows that it has an ending time. You cannot have a starting time without an ending time any more than you can have a starting point without an ending point. Once chronological time is started. Okay? That's the context. The nature of time as man knows it is temporal. Time is running down forward, wasting away. It is um, 22 to 7. Everything behind this point, you'll never get back. The most valuable thing in your life is time. Crash your car, you get another one. Your house burns down, you get another one. Time is gone forever. Forever. It has three dimensions, you know, past, present, and future. That's how you measure it. The same word is used for the beginning of the year in Deuteronomy 11, 12. And the same text is marked by the antonym, the end of the year. Beginning end. That's how we measure things in this present time. Now notice the declaration about the beginning of time can only lead us to one conclusion by way of deduction. If time was introduced at a set time, if time is temporal, if time is winding down, and it's winding down forwards, then it's winding down forwards towards an ending point. Then what existed before time as we know it has to be eternity. It's simple. God put into action chronological time out of eternity completely. That which by nature is infinite, that which by nature has no end, that which by nature is not bound by the limitations of the temporal. Therefore, from the very beginning, God reveals to man that after this period of finite time is over, what awaits man? Eternity. <laughs> Full circle. Which means that God knew all along that he would create the world, man, and that all of it would be ruined by man. And he would work out the plan of redemption through revelation of salvation history. So that man would be able to spend eternity with who? Him one day. The argument of some atheists and non-believers, pagans, whatever category they fall into is, if there's a God and he knew everything, why did he let it happen? Well, he didn't let it happen just to make us suffer. Because to let it happen the way it happened, he first considered his own cost and lost. God was going to kill his own son for us. And what is the motive? Love. So God always initiates first his love. We respond to his love. And the reason he allows it to go is because for your love and my love to be meaningful, it has to be voluntary if it's going to have any value. 
For God to force you to love him is no problem. He can do it. Just like you can force somebody to love you if you have power greater than theirs. But do you really believe they really love you when you're forcing someone? Does that really bring joy to you and turn you on? Of course not. So love can only be valuable and meaningful if it's voluntary. Because when someone loves you voluntary, you're the first one to know you don't deserve it. That's what makes it valuable. Wow. Temporal time and eternity is illustrated beautifully by going up in a hot air balloon. Here we are in the Rolls Parade. We go up in the Rolls Parade. And um, people are on the ground. And they're limited to seeing the parade only at the geographical location they stand. So when we're here, the parade's already started, but it hasn't gotten here. We'll get here in about 25, 30 minutes. But if we go up in a balloon, we can look down and we can see the beginning, the middle, and the end all at one time. That's how God can see things. He, he lives outside of man's time domain and he sees the past, present, and future all at one time. No big deal. That's why it's no big deal for God to say something before it happens so when it happens, you know it's God. That's why God can declare someone by name Cyrus 150 years before his birth that he would give the edict for the Jews to return from Babylon. Now, God doesn't force the man to do it. He just knows he's going to do it. God doesn't force anybody to do good, and God doesn't force anybody to do evil. Because if he he did, then how could he judge the man, the person who did the evil? He would be unjust, unkind. But he's omniscient. He cannot learn one iota, one thing. God has never said to Gabriel, Hey, Gabriel, See if any of the angels know this. I need some information. That bothers us. That he knows more than us. Hmm. Time. What are you doing with your time that God has given to you? Young people, you must live your life in priorities. Whether you're going to school, whether you're working, live in priorities. Do not waste your life. Do not waste your time. Make it count. Think of your hours as if you're a soldier in warfare. Count your bullets. Make them count. Do not waste them. David says, So teach us to number our days that we may gain A heart of wisdom, Psalm 90, verse 12. Just yesterday I was 18. (laughs) Fast. Just yesterday I got saved, 23. Hmm. 31 years ago, the first of this month, we walked in this building. 300 of us. Wow. Are you living with a worldly worldview or a Christian worldview? 
because you go to church doesn't mean that you're living a Christian worldview. If you drop the plumb line of God's word, then you'll know if you're living either the worldview of the world or in Christ. A lot of people say they're Christians, but they make decisions based on a worldview. They act and decide and do things contrary to the scriptures, declaring they know the scriptures, declaring to be Christians. Do you allow things of the world to wear you down, to just press you down? And we all go through difficult times. Everybody's got to make their way through life. Where am I going to go to school? Am, am I going to go to school? What am I going to work? How am I going to make a living? Uh, who am I going to marry? And how am I going to provide for them? And my kids, what am I going to do this? Welcome to the human race. But with God's help, he is faithful. Listen to the words of Jesus. Therefore, do not worry the saying, what shall I eat, what shall I drink, and what shall I wear for? After all these things, the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows what you have need of these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all these things shall be added unto you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own self. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. One day at a time. Sometimes we worry about things that are never going to happen, but at least we worry, right? Matthew six thirty one through 34. Are you aware of how temporal your life is? Listen to James 4, 13 through 14. Come now. You who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city. Spend a year there. Buy and sell and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and phew, vanishes away. I'm 19 years old. I'm driving down up Badillo. Coming to Sousa Avenue, 65-year-old lady makes a left-hand turn and hits me head-on on my motorcycle. Coma for about eight, ten days. I was a non-believer. If I would have died, I would have been in hell. By God's grace, I didn't die. I'm 51, coming to work on my Harley. I'm pulling to a gas station. Lady hits me at 40 miles an hour. I go flying. C2 fracture, break my neck. I should be crippled at best, dead, most likely. Right leg, all tore up. Vapor of smoke. Once again, God let me live. We're not to tempt God. But when God's through with you, City of Hope couldn't keep you here. Okay? Jesus spoke about the man that was rich and plentiful. And, you know, he had so much he didn't know what to do. He says, I know what I'll do. I'll just tear down my barns, build new ones, and I'll stay to my soul, take ease of the, take ease of today. And, you know, he was going to just delight in that. And the Lord says, Thou fool, your souls require you tonight in Luke 12, 16 through 20. No man knows. Everybody has an appointed time. Everybody has a lifespan. But what will, what will occupy your life between your birth and your death? I hope more than a hyphen. I hope your life is spent for Jesus with all your difficulty, with all the problems. But it's a warfare. It's a good warfare. I'm fighting and going forward. We're pilgrims and sojourners. 
soon we will arrive at our destination. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18, uh, Therefore we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed, what? Day by day. For our light, I like this, our light affliction, we think it's heavy. Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a more exceeding eternal weight of glory. While we do not uh, look at the things that are seen, but the things that are not seen, for the things that are seen are temporary. The things that are not seen are eternal. So in comparison to what goes on here to what will go on there, there's just... The, the balances, you know, you make them even. You put a pound of uh, weight here. You put a pound of wheat, then it balances. He says, what's going on here? We think it's heavy compared to what's going to happen. No comparison. Blessed are those who do his commandments that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city, Revelation twenty-two fourteen. By his grace, through faith. Mm-hmm. The time of creation was the beginning of time as we know it. Temporal time. Notice, secondly, comes the God of creation. The identity of the one creating as God, the word Elohim, is in plural form, appears 35 times in chapter 1, verse 1, to chapter 2, verse 3. 35 times. It is found 2,000. 570 times in the Old Testament, and it's also used at times for heathen gods with a small g. The suffix in the Hebrew word I am always indicates a plurality. We read uh, the angelic order cherub, singular, seraph, singular, cherubim, plural, seraphim, plural, Elohim, plural. The God of creation, Elohim, describes the Trinity. El, the root word, mighty one, strength, indicates one. The name Elah, in its root, signifies to swear, similar to the Aramaic word that means two. And the name Elohim attests to a compound unity of three and the proper name of the Creator, God, who is eternal. What a great place to put the Trinity. In the beginning, the three persons of the Godhead created the heavens and the earth. Hmm. Memories writing to the Jews. The Jews were given the oracles of God. Very specific. Through the Psalms, through the Proverbs, through the Scriptures, it's attested over and over and over again. Now, notice the nature of God as Trinity is taught consistently from Genesis to Revelation. The God of creation reveals himself as the triune God, three and one here in verse one. And the conversation of the Trinity also about creation is recorded for us in chapter one, verse 26. In the plural again, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Who's he talking to? Horny toads and lizards? Our image. Our likeness. God. Plural. The threefold trinity is affirmed here. The image and likeness of God in the Hebrew is called parallelism. 
of completement. It describes something completely. In fact, the phrase in the next verse, without form and void, in verse 2, serves the same parallel. Completeness, complete form and void. When Moses addressed Israel in the Shema of Israel, if you remember in Deuteronomy 6.4, he also uses the plural form. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The word one there is a cad, a compound unity of one, and is used for a man and a woman becoming one flesh, yet they're two people. It's used for Pharaoh's dream, one dream, but he had more than one dream. Same word. There is another word, Yahid, that means an absolute one. Moses could have used it. He did not. Not three gods, but one God in three persons. When you think of the Trinity, do not add, multiply. One times one times one is one. If you add, you come up with three gods. The manner noticed by which God created is unique. The word created is distinct from two other words that are used in the creation story here. And when I mean story, I mean history. His story. His record of how he created. This word created is the word bara. It means to create out of nothing. It's divine activity. Ex nihilo, The eternal created. The beginning of temporal, physical time as we've seen. Matter and energy. This word is used exclusively of God. In chapter 1 verse 1. Verse 21, 27, 2, 3, 2, 4. Eight divine acts in six days. One, one, God created the heavens and the earth. In 121, for the animals. And God created great sea creatures, every living thing that moves, that which in the water abundant according to their kind, every wing Bird according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. By the word, there created bara, out of nothing. Okay? Same word. 127, for the creation of man. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Bara, out of nothing. 2-3, for God's blessing of the seventh day and the sanctifying of it, because in it he rested from all his work which God had created bara and made. 2-4, for the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created, bara, in the day the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Very, very clear, very specific word every time. Now, the two other words that are used have to do with using existing material to construct. That's what God did. He spoke everything into being. And the first word is the word Asa. It means to make or made. First time it's found is in one seven. Thus God made Asa, the firmament, 
and divided the waters which were under the firmaments from waters which were above the firmaments, and it was so. One sixteen. Then God made Asa two great lights. They were already there. Okay, the material's there. He made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. You have 125. And God made Asa, the beast of the earth, according to its kind. Cattle, according to its kind. Everything that creeps on the earth, according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. According to its kind, 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 species, in the species of that created order. In other words, micro. You can have mutations within a micro, not into a macro. The micro lizards, different types of lizards. When Noah put the animals in, he didn't take 10,000 dogs, one pair of dogs. They have the genome of all species in it. All right? Real simple. Okay? It's in the DNA. All right? After its kind. 131. Then God saw everything that he had made, Asa. And indeed, it was very good. So the evening, the morning of the sixth day. By the way, morning, evening, and morning, it's 24 hour day. Evening and morning. The Jews begin evening and morning. We go morning and evening. Jews says evening and morning. That's how they look at their day. Okay? 2 2. And on the seventh day, God ended the work which he had done. That's Asa, done. And he rested on the seventh day for all his work which he had done, Asa. 2 3. Last one here. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because he rested all the works which God had created and made. Now, there's one more word. The word is yatsur. It's translated formed. So you have created from nothing, borrow. Asa, to make, to assemble. And here now, yatsur, to form. 2.7 And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the earth and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. In 2.8, the Lord God planted a garden eastward in the garden and there he put the man whom he had formed. Yatsur. 2.19, out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what they, he would call them, and whatever Adam called them, living creature, that was its name. So God is very specific on creating everything out of nothing, making it, and forming it. Good detail. Now, he could have gone to greater detail. God is not giving us the first two chapters of Genesis to try to persuade us. He's not asking for our opinion. He's telling us what he's done. It's a proclamation. One of the most inspiring and thrilling of recent disclosures of astronomers is that there is a great empty space in the north in the nebulae of the constellation of Orion, a heavenly cavern, so gigantic that in the mind of man 
cannot even comprehend it so brilliantly beautiful and words couldn't adequately describe it. All astronomers agree there is a huge opening in Orion which perhaps more than, listen, 16 trillion, that's a 16 comma, 740, and then one, two, three sets of three zeros. Miles in diameter. The diameter of the Earth's orbit is 186 million miles, which in itself is incomprehensible to you and I. Yet the opening into the heavenly cavern of Orion is 90,000 times as wide. In other words, there could be 30,000 solar systems like ours with a sun in the middle of each of them across the entrance of the opening of the north and still have room to spare. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. <laughs> wow. There are several truths called mysteries revealed to man in the scriptures. One of them is the Trinity. Thomas Aquinas talked about the liberating effect of accepting by faith and revelation such doctrines as that of the Trinity, which cannot be attained by reason alone. He said that mere reason changes down to what is merely logical, to what our own mental capacities can deduce. Anzel said that our faith is not based on reason alone, but it's reasonable. We can articulate our faith. We can point to the objective truth of God's revelation as the basis of biblical faith. God said... Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, the captain of the armies of heaven. I am the first, I am the last, besides me there is no other. Period. Isaiah 44, 6. By the way, Isaiah from chapter 40 to the end, that's a repeated phrase. I've been up and down this universe, I've cruised up and down, you know, I've never bumped into any God. If you have, tell them, tell me the thing before it happens, the when it happens, I can declare him God. Nobody's ever taken him up on it. No one. Jesus said, I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end, says the Lord, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty, Revelation 118, and many other portions in Revelation, even to 22, 13. Paul put it this way, and without controversy, great is the mystery of Godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on the world, received up into glory, 1 Timothy 3, 17. The mystery of the Godhead. An amazing thing that God became man for you and I to take our place on the cross. The God of the Bible and Creator revealed Himself so that man not fall prey to corrupt deceptions about the true God and creation. That's why He gave us His record. So we know exactly who made all of this and why He made it. He made it for us. So that we would not become idolaters that we would not become people who are superstitious, uh, those who are, you know, scared by the boogeyman, okay? Polytheism is the belief in multiplicity of gods who have different powers and authorities. Pantheism is the belief that everything is God, not separating God from nature, like Hinduism, New Age, and so many things. 
Pantheism comes from two Greek words, all is God, which is monism, contrary to the Christian view of monotheism, one God in three persons. Tritheism is a belief in three gods. Dualism, a belief in two gods, good and evil, taught by Persian Zoroastrianism or the Gnostics of the second century. One God, the belief in having no trinity. And atheism is a belief that there is no God. Theos is God, put an A before a Greek word, it negates it. Atheism, no God. Materialism is the belief that physical matter is the only reality, that well-being and worldly possessions constitute the great good and the highest value of man. That's what we're living under right now. You have stickers, and I haven't seen this one. It's been years now, but, you know, the one who dies with the most toys wins. Brilliant, isn't it? Wow. Deism professes the existence of a personal God who created the world, but then withdrew himself and left it to govern itself by natural law, also called theistic evolution. Hugh Ross, theistic evolution. He, he, he's a he, he's a hybrid God and evolution can't have it either for me or against me you can't have two masters impossible fatalism possesses professes fate and chance in the result of the present creation. And there are many, many others we can cover. But Paul confronts all of these confused teachings by a simple statement that men reject the truth of God and say man is without excuse and guilty. Listen what he says in Romans chapter 1. He says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, listen, who suppress the truth of God or the righteousness of God. Because what may be known of God is manifested in them. You have a conscience. Okay? History. Creation. You're busted. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, you and I, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, not they wanted to know, they knew God in the past, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile, empty in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools who changed the glory of the incorruptible God into the image like corruptible man, birds, four-footed beasts, animals, creeping things, who showed, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing one another. Romans one eighteen to twenty three and two fifteen. So from creation, conscience, and history, man has no excuse. What a great place to put the stars. You go out camping. Who made those things? 
Who keeps them up there? The explicit details of God's creation in Genesis are to communicate that he is the creator and everything is a product of himself and no aspect of the creation should be worshipped or feared. Listen to Deuteronomy 4.19. And take heed lest you lift your eyes to the heaven and when you see the sun, the moon, the stars, all the hosts of heaven, the stars, you will be driven to worship them and serve them which the Lord your God has given to all the people on the whole earth as a heritage. So he reveals what he did so that we know that it's for our benefit not to worship it. Worship the one who created them. 1 Corinthians one twenty one says, idolatry was denounced by, by, the, by the prophets, you know, but he says here, for since the since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message of uh, preached to save those who believe. If you look back to the law, um, two times it's recorded in the Ten Commandments not to make any images of likeness of things in heaven, above, earth, beneath, or water, because that's idolatry in Exodus 20, verse 4, and Exodus uh, 5, 8. Because God's a spirit. He doesn't have eyes, hands, and feet like you and I. And you are not to make any resemblance that you think might be there. You don't know what's there. Okay? All three persons of Godhead are co-equal, as you know. All three are eternal. They had no beginning, are infinite, omniscient, all-knowing, omnipotent, all-powerful, omnipresent. Everywhere at the same time. Jesus is the only one that limited himself for a set amount of years to be the Redeemer, not to be in the same place every time, at the same time, for a set time. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth the Son made of a woman under the law, Galatians 4.4, 4, right on time. You realize God's never been late for anything? Have you ever read in the gospel? A blind man say, Jesus, Jesus, help me. He said, wait a minute, I'm, I'm running late. I'll, I'll be back right now. Always right on time. He's just kicking it on schedule. Isaiah forty four six says the Father says through Isaiah, "I am the first, and I am the last." John tells us that the Son said, "I am the first and the last." Also, Revelation one seventeen, the Holy Spirit is called the Eternal Spirit in Hebrews nine fourteen. All three are eternal. All three persons of the Trinity are co-equal and were involved in creating all things. Paul says, for us, there is one God, the Father, of whom are all things. 1 Corinthians 8, 6. Then John tells us, all things were made through him, Christ. And without him, nothing was made that was made. John 1, 3 and Hebrews 1, 2. Contradiction? No. Moses says, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the waters. Genesis 1-2. These are just three verses. You find them all over all the three persons. If these were the only ones, you've got the absolute truth. You don't need anything else. When God says it one time, that's truth. You send forth your spirit. They are created. Borrow. 
and you renewed the face of the earth. Psalm 104, 104 verse 30. And yet God as creator is separate from his creation. God is not a tree, a mountain, the sea, or the universe. That's pantheism. God is not limited, nor is he less than his creation. God is not dependent, but independent of his creation. God is greater than his creation, controlling and holding it together. Colossians 1.17 says, Now the uh, scientists don't know why the atom doesn't blow up in itself. Everything material has a potential for that. The neutrons, protons, electrons, all that's going on in there, they, they should repel. They, they don't know what holds them together. Colossians 1.17 says, Jesus is holding them together. Second Peter 3 says, at the end of a thousand years, everything will be burned up. He releases the atom. <laughs> so simple. The God of creation spoke things into existence. Aren't you glad that he has control of your life? Notice thirdly, the totality of creation. The declaration is a matter of fact. God Elohim created the heavens. The word heavens, again, is in the plural. There's three heavens. Uh, the first one in chapter 1, verse 20, where the birds fly. That's the first heaven. The second heaven is in chapter 1, verse 14 through 18, where the sun, the moon, the stars, the planets exist. The third heaven, Paul gives us in 2 Corinthians 12, 2 through 4. He says, I knew a man about 13 years ago, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. He was caught up to the third heaven where God dwells. He also calls it paradise because he transferred paradise from the bosom of Abraham up to heaven once he descended and ascended. And so now it's just one compartment for all those who reject Christ and die. And they are waiting for the judgment day. When Christians die, they're instantly present before the Lord in paradise. He told the man on the cross, the thief, today you will be with me in paradise. Down there. Then he scooped him up and took it up there. Wow. God created a protective water blanket between the first and second heaven on the second day in Genesis 1, 7 through 8, possibly to filter out the ultraviolet rays, the little neutrinos that kind of go through our bodies and just destroy cells and they make us go from a grape to a raisin and uh, give you skin cancer. The heavens encompass all that is outside of the earth, the heavenly elements. The sun and the moon, in chapter 1, verse 4 through 5 there, the first day, light was called forth by God, dividing the light from the darkness. On the fourth day, in Genesis 1, 14, God made Asa the light of the firmaments. They haven't divided the days from the night, and they were for signs and seasons, days and years. In chapter 1, 15 and 16, they were to be for lights in the firmament of the heavens, for the earth also. He made two great lights. The greater light ruled the day, the lesser light to rule the night. Then you have the stars in chapter 1, verse 16. At the end of 16, he made the stars also. The summary statement follows that God set all three of them in the firmament of the heavens for the benefit of the earth. Closing with, 
And God saw that it was good. God gave us a perfect creation. Adam jacked it up. He messed it up. You would have done the same thing. So would I. Okay? The phrase, God saw that it was good, is repeated every time it has a direct benefit to man on the earth. On the first, third, fourth, and fifth day. Verse 4, 10, 12, 18, 21, and 25. God is good. Man is bad. When somebody says man is good, tell them to finish the sentence. Good for nothing. The first parallels the fourth day. The lights, galaxies, and everything else in the visible universe is included here. Nothing existed prior to this. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. Psalm 33, success. Notice the declaration once again is a matter of fact. God Elohim created the earth. The third day, God divided the waters from the land. God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land's earth and the gathered together the waters. He called them seas and God saw that it was good. The second distinct act took place on the third day in Genesis 1, 11 through 13. God brought forth grass, herbs, and fruit trees. Then God said, let the earth bring forth grass, herbs, yield seed, and the fruit trees that yield fruit according to its kind. That's micro, okay? And it stays micro, different, different kinds of that. But it never goes into macro. Micro, you're a cat. If, you, if it goes in the macro, that cat would become a horse. That's never going to happen. Okay? Listen, mutations are always inferior, never superior. Simple principle. Okay? You've been biology 101? Okay? Mutations are always inferior, never superior. God saw that it was very good. The fifth day, in chapter 1, verse 20 through 23, God created the sea life, the fowls of the air, let the waters bound, creatures, the birds that fly. God created Barra once again, waters in abundance. God saw that it was very good. God blessed them. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the waters of the sea. The birds multiply the earth. So the heavens of the morning were the fifth day. The second day parallels the fifth day. The sky, birds, and fish. Look at chapter 1, 24 through 27. The sixth day God created the cattle, creeping thing, the beast, the field, each according to its kind again. The second and distinct act of creation from the animal kingdom, he created man after the emission likeness of God. This was the sixth day. Genesis 1, 24 through 27. Notice the phrase, God saw that it was good. There it is again. Repeated every time. Has a direct benefit to man on the earth. First, third, fourth, fifth day. Verse 4, 10, 
12, 18, 21. But on the sixth day, God saw everything that he had made, and indeed, it was very good. Very good. Man was the crowning glory of God's creation as he gave him dominion over all the complete and finished work of creation. In chapter 1, verse 25, or 28 there, down to 30. Paul put it this way, By him, Christ, all things were created that are in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones, dominions, principalities, and powers, all things were created through him and for him. Colossians 1, 16. The scriptures just fit like a glove. Perfectly. You know, the sun is so large. And think about God, the creator of everything. The sun is so large that if it were hollow, it could contain more than one million worlds the size of our earth. There are stars in space so large that they could easily hold 500 million suns the size of ours. There are about 100 billion stars in the average galaxy, and there are at least 100 million galaxies in the known universe. That exhausts me. And here's puny man to God. It's like you walking out to your backyard in this anthill, and you look down, and one little ant is just raising it, and you just step on him. A little Taco Bell dog, you know, to a Rottweiler. The Rottweiler's just looking at him, licking his chops. The evolutionists believe that we are the product of billions of years in the long process of transitional forms, going from the simple to the complex. Yet, there is not enough time, take billions and trillions of years, for that to happen in the what's called a simple cell that is not so simple. By random chance, it would never, ever happen. And they know it. Listen to Peter. Peter identifies those who are scoffers and willfully, willfully ignorant of God's revelation. Knowing this, that first, that the scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, and saying, where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Oh, they acknowledge creation. For they willfully forget that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water, and in the water by which the world that then existed perished judgment. Beings flood, uh, being flooded with water, but the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved for the same word, and by the same word, are reserved for fire unto the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. God has given a nurse full of evidence of cataclysmic judgment. They look at it and they say, hmm, evolution. Why? Because their worldview is anti-God. Simple. There is no room for God. Willfully ignorant. They're ignoring the evidence and the revelation of God. Evolution dates all the way back to the ancient Greeks. Aristotle was an evolutionist, 384 to 322 BC. The first complete theory was by one 
uh, named Chevalier de Lamarck in 1844 to 1829 and became the professor of zoology in the Museum of National History in Paris. What can I say? France. Um, later, Darwin captured the world's attention, having developed the theory as none before him. It wasn't new. He just formalized it and categorized it. Just like Calvinism was a new, Augustine is the one who brought it forth. Calvin formalized it. The belief is a rejection of divine revelation, the philosophy of uniformitarianism, big old word. All things have continued as their word. That's why evolution, layer after layer, boom, 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 billions of time, they need the time, right? The belief is a rejection of divine revelation. They choose to mock the idea of creator rather than believe that um, we were created. They believe that we uh, came from apes, the evolutionary model. As um, Brian said this morning, you know, a little kid asked his mom. His mom said about, all about the apes and everything. He went to his dad. His dad says, no, God created us. And he says, I'm confused, dad. What is it? Well, it's, it's simply, that's, your mom's talking about her side of the family. Yeah. <laughs> But um, it's amazing. Why, why aren't monkeys becoming men in the zoo? You should see some transition, right? They reject the fact that God judged the world by the flood, and um, the fossil record proves that God brought judgment. Cataclysmic, sudden burial. That's how fossils are made. The evolutionary hypothesis is based on illogical reasoning, general associations and fabrications of their imaginations because they're atheists and they hate God. By the way, there has never been one transitional fossil ever found. You realize that? There's in micro, the same species kind, but never has there been one transitional form from a dog to a horse. You know why? Because there's never been one. If there's transitional forms, you're going to have more in-betweens than extremes. Clear? But they fabricate them. They lie. They doctor them. Mutations are always inferior, not superior. 1891, Dutch physician Du Bois discovered a skull cap. A year later, 90 feet from the same place, he found a molar bone, a femur bone, thigh, and he put them both together and came up with uh, Pithcanthropus erectus, erect ape man. That's great. <laughs> Two years later, 1898, a molar tooth was added out of these. There came Java man, said to be 500,000 years old. Before his death, he convinced most it was an ape. Wow. 1922, a tooth was found in Nebraska and found that an entire man was created and published in London Illustrated News. Creative, aren't they? 1927, it was found to be a pig's tooth. Later in 1912, a part of a skull and jawbone produced Java man, or down man, I'm sorry, down man, 500,000 years old. Then in 1950, it was checked for fluoride content and proved the jaw had been no older than the year found in the skull, a few thousand years, not 500 years. 
noted also was the treating of the bones with iron salts to make them appear older than the teeth had been filed down. You want to talk about Lucy the monkey, 1974? As they created that whole ball joint artificially? These are smart people, but they need money for their grants, so they have to be fraudulent, dishonest. Because you know why? There's no room for God. That's not allowed. Wow. Incredible. The record of divine creation meets with the requirements of science. Time in the beginning. Cause, God created. Space, the heavens. Matter, the earth. Force, the spirit. First motion, move. <laughs> Lots of science right there. In the early 80s, a professor of Berkeley came up with the solution of the transitional forms. Listen to him. That a snake laid an egg and a bird flew out of it. Not quite scientific proof, but they buy in it. They cannot accept the miracle of the Bible, but believe evolution. The fool has said in his heart, no God, Psalm 14.1. You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things. And by your will, they exist and were created. Revelation 4 11. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom of God ordained before the ages for your glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2 7 and 8. If those Romans and Hebrews would have been able to see Jesus and they say, Whoa, that's God, don't touch him, they wouldn't have crucified him. They crucified him because they didn't see him as God. The totality of creation means everything in the heavens and the earth. There is nothing that exists that he did not create. The opening verse of Genesis is declarative as a statement of the entire creation of the cosmos. Describe by these three factors, the time of creation, which was the beginning of time as we know it, temporal. The God of creation who makes things into existence in the totality of creation, which means everything in the heavens and the earth. One little verse. What an incredible God. Lord, we thank you. We praise you. We worship you. Thank you for your word and for your goodness, Lord. We pray that you would continue to work in us, that we would trust and believe in you, Lord, and you would use it for your glory. We love you, Lord, and we just pray in Jesus' name. Amen.